Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. Am I by Rudyard Kipling? This is first published in 1901 in, I think, an American newspaper. And then it was published in 1901 in McClure's magazine and the Win- Windsor magazine, all in October. Um, it was like a week apart. Uh, the first publication was in New York Tribune, second was Windsor, and then third, probably, McClure's, although how would one know? Um, McClure's was an American magazine, um, New York Tribune, obviously an American newspaper, and Windsor Magazine was an, a British magazine. Um, they're virtually identical, all three versions, although the Windsor's, um, set in the UK, uh, they leave out, uh, stanza 13, um, which, uh... Stanza 13? Yeah, it's near the end, um... And it's basically some sort of like sort of sensitive um, word that it doesn't really matter. But um, I'll just read it. Um, it goes like this: "Red little, dead little." That's the phrase that uh, they think might be why it was left out. Um, red little being uh, referring to the color of a British uniform, right? Um, and that is in the version that I that I read. Right, yeah, so we're reading from the McClure's, which is the American, but there is one version out there that lacks that stanza as perhaps a bit of censorship. This being uh, a poem about, I guess, the Second Boer War, which is was just sort of wrapped up, I guess, by this time, but had just finished happening, and uh, it's... Uh, written, I believe, because Kipling had just gone to uh, South Africa for the second time, uh, as he was wont to do, hanging out with the common soldier, and then wrote this poem, but actually it's more like a song, um, in the sense that it's it has lines that are designed to be uh, ad-libbed by the soldier singing it. Which is kind of interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think there's any evidence that he uh, picked this up from them and then uh, just wrote it and claimed it to be his own. But rather, I think he was talking to the British soldiers in South Africa, as he was very wont to do, and absorbing their their experience and then reflecting it back to them for their use. Does yeah, that, does that make sense? It does. Um, it, this is a <laughs> a problem in this poem mm-hmm. is that it is clearly meant to be heard. Yes, um, maybe even sung. When I first read it, I thought, "Gee, does the word chanty apply to a poem that?" doesn't get sung by a sailor. Um, and it turns out it, it doesn't. So they can't call this a chanty, but it feels like a mm-hmm. siege, except it's for, it's for mounted soldiers. M I, uh, stands for mounted infantry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the problems with this poem is that 
it is at such a cultural distance from me, at least. Yeah. Uh, that I had to keep stopping, looking things up and mm-hmm. figuring out what they meant. And one of the key things in this, uh, in fact, I never did find. And I just had to make a guess about it. So in reading this aloud, um, clearly when you, you do a chanty, or shanty as I pronounced it as a kid, but it's spelled chanty. Um, but maybe it's shanty because it's from French chante. Um, you, you've got to keep going, you know, yeah. and there's a rhythm. There's just, you're not supposed to stop and look at the footnotes. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if we were to, uh, give people the footnotes to begin with, um, then they're going to be listening for the footnote. How right. exactly do we do this? So, um, I'm thinking, that I ought to, uh, if you want me to read it, as you had suggested before mm-hmm. we started taping, um, I'm thinking I ought to give at least some of these um, to begin with. Sure. Um, uh, and I uh, can give you the pronunciation of one of the words, too, that I think is important. Um, okay. I don't know if you have this one, but um, I-K-O-N-A-S. Yes. Um, I'm not familiar with this before I encountered this poem, I guess it was a couple of years ago. Um, it's... It looks like iconas, but uh-huh. it's actually pronounced more like a a corner. And so, when you get the the line "turn out the chronic a corner," um, you can kind of rhyme the chronic with a conic, right? Um, iconic, <laughs> iconer. Um, it's kind of hard for us to know. The nice thing about this in this McClure's version we're reading is they put the footnotes in there for what they thought that the reader wouldn't know. And it is full of very specific references. That This is why I'm saying that this poem is not for the you know, general consumption. It was, I think, for the soldiers to... I mean, it's maybe I'm getting too much into the analysis here, but I think it's... It's hard for us because it's easy for them, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, for example, um, the word footsack, mm, mm-hmm. which means, you know, get walking. Right. But, you know, if you were a soldier in the Boer War, you'd know that. Um, there's a reference to uh, someone named Todd Sloan. Right. Who rides like Todd Sloan. I have no idea who Todd Sloan is until I look up Todd Sloan and find out that in 1901, he was a world famous American, as it happens, jockey. Mm -hmm. So to ride like Todd Sloan would be perfectly understandable then. But that's 119 years ago. And uh, I'm old, but I'm not that old. (laughs) Um, Now, some of the the words that are odd, like uh, copie, um, I, I happen to know. Yeah, me you know. too. I knew that one as well. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> but I, I did pronounce uh, Iconas as Iconas, um, and I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, yeah, I don't think it matters I, that much as long as we're, we're – we're, we're, the pronunciation doesn't matter as much as the, the spirit, I think. And that's the problem. Uh, so uh, I'm going to read this soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think it's important to know that even if you, as far as I can tell, even if you were a, an MI in the British service in 1901 in, uh, toward the end of the Boer War, uh, it did go on for a year after that. But um, even if you were one of those people, Icona is an exclamation. 
or it is an adjective. It's no, not at all, none, mm-hmm. right? That's what it means. It's usually spelled A-I-K-O-N-A rather than I-K-O-N-A, but that's what it means. Um, in Lithuanian, it means icon, but <laughs> there's right. no reason to think there's Lithuanian. No, no, this is a native word that was adopted by the, by the MIs. Exactly. So they're using the word icona, it seems to me, as if it were a noun. Yes. Even though it is not. Well, we do that kind of thing all the time. Absolutely. Uh, for example, uh, you and I were talking about golf earlier. Um, the the well manicured piece of grass around the the cup uh, in any given uh, station on a golf course is called a green. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sort of think of green as an adjective, but. You know, you can then have green, the color. I like green a lot, and there is a green. You know, you can move back and forth among parts of speech. And although no dictionary that I found lists Icona as a noun, I think it's a noun here. It is a noun here. And uh, I, I also want to point out the word in front of it that shows up so often is chronic. Now, uh, that is their equivalent, uh, based on my researches, of like an intensifier like fucking or damn so you know this damn car won't start so it's it's kind of a double negative right we've got this negative intensifier and then we've got this word for the guys who are singing this song right as the guys who are said no to and who say no yes and it's hard so that the line you were just referring to comes at the the end of I don't know the second stanza. Mm-hmm. It's it's at the beginning um, when there's a really dirty job to be done. Turn out the chronic iconas, roll up the something or other mi, and this is part of what you meant about how it's meant to be sung to a particular audience. It, the footnote tells us it could, that dash could be the first to the sixth. MI that yep. is it's a it's a military unit so it could be turn out the chronic iconas roll up the um, fifth second MI yeah. um, that's the second battalion of mounted infantry that's right. uh, what I don't know mm-hmm. is whether or not turn out the chronic iconas means get rid of those guys who won't do the job and instead replace them with the second MI. Or does it mean, let's go get those guys who always say no, because by golly, they're going to do it anyway? Yeah, I think I think it's this is um, in spirit of what this poem sort of is aiming at um, is basically like we are in a really bad situation and we got to get it done. And they always turn to us, don't they? Right. Um, I get so, that. Yeah. So the Iconas are the MI. Yes. Except the Iconas are the MI who really know that they don't want to do any of this crap. Yeah. But they're going to do it anyway. That's right. Yeah. So um, with that behind us, mm-hmm. um, there are some other words that could use a little um, footnoting. But the only one that I think we need to make a little clearer here uh, for someone who can't stop because we're not going to stop in the reading, is that Mr. DeVette, in fact, is a, a Boer general. Mm-hmm. That is, he's on the other side from uh, from the Brits. That's right. And the Boers are Dutch, uh, called Dutch 
here the same way that Germans get called Dutch uh, for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Shall we? Please. Am I? I wish my mother could see me now with a fence post under my arm and a knife and a spoon in my putties that I found on a boar farm atop of a sore-backed Argentine with a thirst that you couldn't buy. I used to be in the Hampshires once, Gloucesters, Lincolns, and Rifles once, Sussex, Scottish, and Yorkshires once, but now I am M.I. That is what we're known as. That is the name you must call. If you want officers, servants, pickets, and horse guards and all, details for burying parties, company cooks or supply, Turn out the chronic iconas. Roll up the second MI. My hands are so are spotty with velt sores. My shirt is a button and frill. And the things I've used my bayonet for would make a tinker ill. And I don't know whose damn column I'm in, nor where we're trekking, nor why. I've trekked to the valve from the orange once, and from the valve to the greasy pongolo once, or else it was called the Zambezi once. For now, I am M.I. That is what we are known as. That is the crowd you require for outposts all night under freezing and rear guard all day under fire. Anything odd or unwholesome, anything dusty or dry, borrow a bunch of Iconas. Trot out the second M.I. Our sergeant major's a subaltern. Our captain's a fusilier. Our adjutant's late of somebody's horse and a Melbourne auctioneer. But you couldn't spot us at half a mile from the Krakus Cavalry because they used to talk about Lancers once, Usars, Dragoons, and Lancers once, helmets, pistols, and carbines once. But now we are MI. That is what we are known as. We are the orphans they blame for begging the loan of an Ed Stall and fitting a mount to the same. Can't even look at their horse lines, but someone starts bellering, Hey, hook it, you burglar in Icona! Footsack, you second MI. We're trekking our 20 mile a day and being loved by the Dutch, but we don't hold on by the main no more nor loose our stirrups much. And we scout with a senior man in charge where the only white flags fly. We used to think they were friendly once, didn't take any precautions once, once my ducky, and only once. But now we are MI. That is what we are known as. We are the beggars that got three days to learn equitation and six months of blooming well trot. Cow guns and cattle and convoys and Mr. DeWitt on the fly. We are the rolling Iconas. We are the second MI. The new fat regiments come from home, imagining vain VCs. The same as our flighty, talky flighty men, which are always number threes. But our wounds, words of command are scatter and close and let your wounded lie. We used to rescue them noble once, given the range as we raised them once, getting them killed as we saved them once. But now we are M.I. That is what we are known as. We are the lanterns you view after a fight round the copies, looking for men that we knew whistling and calling together, Alton to catch the reply. Help me. Oh, help me, Iconas. This way, the second am I. I wish my mother could see me now a gathering news on my own. 
when I ride like a general up to the scrub and ride back like Ted Sloan, remarkably small on my horse's neck to let the shots go by. We used to fancy it risky once, called it a reconnaissance once, under the charge of an officer once, but now we are MI. That is what we are known as. That is the word you must say when you want men to be mousered for one and penny a day. We are no dollar colonials. We are the homemade supply. Write to the London Iconas. Ask for the second MI. I wish myself could talk to myself as I left him a year ago. I could tell him a lot that would save him a lot on the things that he ought to know. When I think of that ignorant barrack bird, it almost makes me cry. I used to belong in an army once. God, what a rum little army once. Red little, dead little army once. But now I am M.I. That is what we are known as. We are the men that have been over a year at the business, smelted and felt it and seen. We have got hold of the needful. You will be told by and by. Wait till you've heard the Iconas spoke to the old M.I. Mount, march, Iconas. Stand to your horses again. Mop up the frost on the saddles. Mop up the miles on the plain. Out go the stars in the dawning. Up goes our dust to the sky. Walk, trot, Iconas, trek you, the old M.I. Good poem. Um, yeah. Now, I think there is another way to read that blank. <laughs> Turn out the chronic Iconas, roll up the, and then you choose your your uh, particular branch. Or I think there's another way to read that, and that would be the way the... Uh, Soldiers would read it, uh, sort of the more censorable version, which is the goddamn or the, you know, whatever. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, horrible insult that uh, bleeding, was, you know, whatever. I was, just, I was accepting the footnote. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think that even Kipling would. I don't. I, I, I never met the man, <laughs> but I've read a lot of his stuff, and yeah. he is very sympathetic to the common foot soldier in a way that you don't see um, usually. Um, he, he wanted to spend time with the grunts and not spend time with the officers. He did spend time with the officers, but for the juice of his stories, it was always spending time with the grunts. Oh, yeah. So, um, And probably his most uh, famous poem is The Ballad of East and West. Um, Maybe I'm wrong, but but he gets right in there. He he cares about individuals. Absolutely. Although we do have to recognize he he ha- does go down in history as one of the the most violent uh, apostrophists, um, apologists, I should say, for uh, colonialism. He's an enormous yeah. imperialist and a white supremacist. Um, but when it comes to his fellow Englishmen, his sympathies clearly lie with the lower classes being abused by the upper classes. Yes. Um, I, the, is the Ballad of East and West the one uh, with Gunga Din? Because that's the one I uh, always think of. Yeah. Well, Gunga Din is, is another one. That's why I said maybe not. The Ballad of East and West is the one that begins, Oh, East is East and West is West. Okay. Never the twain shall meet right. till... Earth and sky, you know. Right, 
And then at the end of that stanza says, but there is neither east nor west nor border nor breed nor birth. Mm. When strong men stand face to face, though they come from the end of the earth. So that's one of the rare moments in which um, the enormous sympathy that Kipling shows for the struggle of uh, a common male Mm -hmm. transcends his uh, imperialism and racism. It's very – to say that he's racist is correct, but to say that he's only racist is totally incorrect, right? Which is is why I I quoted – Exactly. And that's the thing is like this this period – this period, it's very hard for us to understand. But I've spent so much time trying to understand it because I find these amazing stories by Jack London and uh, Rudyard Kipling and I'm like, well – or H.P. Lovecraft, right? And they have a wholly different world around them, one that is so seeped in in um, racism that it's hard to notice. Notice uh, when it isn't racist, basically. Um, now, here, I don't think that there's much of that. Um, the, the Boers are Dutchmen, right? And there, there is a line, right? It's the very first line. Um, I wish my mother could see me now with a fence post under my arm and a knife and a spoon in my putties that I found on a Boer farm. Found is not what he did. <laughs> he burned right. that farm and yep. he took the or, – or at least he raided that farm and he took the horses that he needed and he took their fence post as a fuel for his fire and he took their knife and fork because now he, he, he's basically a, a soldier in rags. Um, this is the kind. This war was not a friendly war. So the, there's kind of a face on this that is a little bit strange. I wanted to. I wanted to tell you um, how I found this poem because I, I I very distinctly like got a shock through my spine when I I started reading it. Um, I put it up in 2016, and I've been thinking about it ever since then. Um, and the reason is I don't know if I told you this before, but um, this is, I think, an inspiration for one of Robert Heinlein's novels, um, like deeply inspired. <laughs> and that's mm. not a surprise to me, given how many times that has happened before. I'm reading a Robert Heinlein novel, and then he's got a quote from Rudyard Kipling, and then I realize, oh, yeah, this whole book is inspired by that, that book, that other book. So I want to give you a couple of examples. Um, Maybe Heinlein's most famous novel is Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, it doesn't feel like it when you're reading the book, but its inspiration was The Jungle Book. The Jungle Book's about a boy who's raised by wild uh, oh, uh, monkeys and wild animals. Um, this is a Starship Troopers, uh, not Starship Troopers, Stranger in a Strange Land is a book about a uh, man raised by Martians. The focus is different, but the premise is the same. And in fact, his wife, uh, Virginia Heinlein, apparently said, why don't you write something uh, like based on the Jungle Book? And that's how he started that idea. Um, another one that I'm, I'm pretty familiar with because I only read it recently is Kim, um, which is a story of a boy who basically becomes a, a spy. 
And in that uh, transformation into a Heinlein novel, it becomes Citizen of the Galaxy, which is about a boy who becomes a spy. Um, They are usually called out, and I didn't recall it uh, from reading Starship Troopers years ago, but I did go and do a word search, and I found Rudyard Kipling's name in Starship Troopers. But it just struck me incredibly that... Uh, Starship Troopers is a future echo of this, and it's actually the the title is what got got me right away. It's MI. In Starship Troopers, they call them mobile infantry. Um, MI here is mounted infantry. They're not exactly the same thing, but the idea of we're the grunts who get the work done is exactly what that book is about. And that's why they put it on the Military Academy uh, reading list. That's why people who join the military and read that book say, yeah, this, this guy gets it right, even though he's writing about a future in which people have battle suits and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's because, uh, you know, Heinlein was not a foot soldier. He was a Navy man and he was an officer. But uh, he really did love his Kipling. And I'm, I would bet $1,000 that the that Starship Troopers was inspired by M.I. There are no lines uh, explicitly saying that, but there is a poem inside of Starship Troopers that's uh, called The Heathen, or part of uh, part of The Heathen is in there. Um, it goes like this. The young recruit is, a, is silly. He thinks a suicide. He lost his gutter devil. He isn't got his pride. But day by day the kicks is, they kicks him, which helps him on a bit, till he finds hisself one moanin, a moanin, it's hard to say, with a full and proper kit. Getting clear of the dirtiness, getting done with a mess, getting shut of doing things, rather more or less. And then the next line in the book, it says, Roger Kipling, I'm not going to talk much more about my boot training. So uh, it was just a big shock to me that yet another novel by Heinlein was, I think, directly inspired by this. And, and you know, I, I started this uh, website and this uh, podcast with you thinking that we're going to be talking about uh, science fiction and fantasy stuff. And we really can't get away from it even when we do go to a historical poem. Uh-huh. Right? Um so uh, this uh, the specifics in this poem about all the you know the places they're going and the fact that their horses are Argentine because they had to import a bunch of Argentinian horses because of the shortage for you know uh, South Africa is a big country and they're used to fighting in small countries and the uh, boars don't play by the rules right so. The, the the whole thing of this poem is that these guys came unequipped to do the job. Now they're doing the job anyways. And that is the sympathy that I think he's rolling out for these, these uh, iconists. Um, I think seeing the, uh, the resonance between Kipling and Heinlein is superb, Jesse. Um, the typical Heinlein hero, and you know, people have talked about this for half a century, mm-hmm. the typical Heinlein hero is someone who um, 
acknowledges the significance of military structure, um, does not want to be a hero, but because of his fundamental competence, when the situation demands it, he rises to become a hero. Mm -hmm. Um, This is true of Michael Valentine Smith, um, in a way, in Stranger in a Strange Land, but it's even truer of the characters who lead in things like Starship Troopers Mm -hmm. or Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Um, There is a general sense that um, if if you're willing to pay attention to someone that you don't think of as highbrow, you will find out that there is a reluctant but nonetheless true hero involved there. And so there's that line in this poem that, uh, let me see if I can find it, um, where it talks about the threes. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the, the guys who hold, the horse holders. Is. Exactly. They're the ones who want credit, but they're the ones who are the three. That's it. They're the same not, yeah, talky, they're fighty men, which are always number threes. Mm-hmm. That is, they're well back of the lines of combat holding the horses. That's you know, So, um, you know, the big cheeses are the ones who deserve to be scorned because of their heirs. But there's never really any revenge taken against them. It's just that from Heinlein's perspective, we get to see these uh, de classe people acting really classy. Mm-hmm. And that's true for Kipling as well. Um, growing up, one of the books we had in my house was a, a well-worn volume of Kipling's poems called Barrack Room Ballads mm-hmm. that my father used to love to declaim. Um, and clearly Kipling, he's not thinking about the, the poor Boer soldiers who are getting killed in this process. No. He's only with the English. He is an imperialist. But within that context, as you say, uh, given the world that he lived in, his his allegiance to the lower class and his recognition of the fundamental nobility of of the humanity of the lower class, even as in something like the Ballad of East and West, when that person isn't English, isn't even white. That's something that makes us it makes it possible for us, I think, to still read Kipling without going, oh, my God, how did he have those attitudes? Mm -hmm. Because he had he had more than that. And if you're willing to just look at one side of the fight, um, after all, what has he done with this word, this repeated word, Icona? These are the guys who are saying, no, Mm -hmm. we don't want to do this. We don't want to fight. We don't want to kill. We don't want to be stuck out here. And that's what those that's what those uh, boars are saying to them when they come. They see them riding up over the hill. They say no. And that's that's what they call. That's like that. that, Yeah, that's our name. Exactly. Oh, it's there's some brutality hidden behind sort of this buff tone of. A beautiful uh, hero- heroism in the face of difficulty. And I think one of the reasons that Kipling writes with so much what strike us as Arcana um, is that even in the days when this was known, these things were known, um, there's something in here. It's like writing with uh, a professional jargon. Mm-hmm. What 
what he's doing is what Kipling is doing is declaring which side he's on. I'm not just on the side of the English. I'm on the side of these guys, these guys who are so alone that even as grownups, men who have just burned down a homestead, as you say, um, they just wish their mothers could see them now. You know, they could just know we're doing the work. We're doing the best we can. They miss their homes. These it's, are it's almost the bad. There's a, there's this yeah. There's this backwardness. I wish my mother could see me now. I think it's kind of the other way around. I wish I could see my mother, right? And exactly. and that backwardsness is right in that wonderful line that he repeats and repeats. But now I am, am I? Exactly. It's, all, you know, it's like you could almost put a question mark on the end, and the answer is no. You're dead, son. Yeah. Well. As so many others have. I mean, one unit after another has been has been fragmented. Mm-hmm. They keep reforming as am I. And there he is trying to go on. So he needs to speak out. He needs to write this poem. That this is a first-person poem really represents an extraordinary identification on Kipling's part. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think happened was when he looked at these people, he knew that there was always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.com.